The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. If people think the country is on the wrong track and are upset, it's usually really bad news for the party in power. The Democrats have a very difficult challenge on their hands when it comes to the midterms. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. I think there's a lot of pent-up demand for electing a woman, and I think 2022 could be the year of the woman. I see the demand that we have today as the baseline for the future. It means our economy is roaring back. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Well, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin shocked his Democratic colleagues Sunday by saying he is a no on their roughly $2 trillion tax and spending bill. We're going to talk shortly with Congressman John Yarmuth, who is the House Budget Chairman and the primary sponsor of that Build Back Better bill. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, co-hosting today with my Bloomberg government colleague, Emily Wilkins. While Joe is out, we'll give you the latest in Washington news, and we'll fill Joe in on all the Washington drama when he comes back in a few days. <laughs> Very excited to talk shortly with Congressman Yarmuth. We are going to speak shortly with, again, as I said, House Budget Chairman and primary uh, sponsor of the Build Back Better Act, John Yarmuth, shortly. In the meantime, we've got Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shianzano and Rick Davis joining us for their their usual insights, as we always get. And at, later in the show, we will speak with Laura Davison, who covers tax issues and Congress for Bloomberg News, who can walk us through what Democrats options really are if, in fact, Senator Manchin is a no. So, guys, the basic issue here, one of the issues, aside from maybe some political drama, is that Senator Manchin does not want to rely on gimmicks. He does not want, for example, the child tax credit in this major bill to only go for one year so that it appears to be less uh, expensive than the 10-year score. That provision, though, over 10 years costs about $1.5 trillion if they do it for a whole decade. And Senator Manchin has said he doesn't really want to go over a maximum of $1.75 trillion. That makes it hard to do anything else besides the child tax credit. Uh, I want to hear what you guys think. Jeannie, uh, Jeannie Shianzano, uh, I'm always interested in whether you are optimistic or feeling a little more pessimistic on Democrats' chances. Do you think that by the end of 2022, we are going to see a bill with some of these key Democratic priorities uh, into law? We may. I mean, we hear Joe Manchin today saying, you know, you revitalize this thing, you do it the way I want, essentially, mm -hmm. and I will consider voting for it. You know, the problem is now, after what happened on Sunday, which, by the way, I, you're so right, people seem so shocked, and yet I'm not sure how they could have been. But after that, the trust seems to have been lost in the relationship, and that, I think, is a big problem, particularly after the White House put out that really extraordinary statement 
right. very, very personal in terms of uh, in terms of Manchin. So, you know, I do think it's possible we see something standalone, but he had problems with this from the beginning, the size, the scope, and the number of issues that he had with it. Right. It's going to be hard-pressed in an election year. Well, we are now joined by Congressman John Yarmuth, who has had a hand in working out the details of this bill before it passed the House and went to the Senate. Congressman, thank you so much for joining us today. First things first, I want to get into the numbers, but really I just want to get your initial reaction. And can you tell us what, what is the mood for Democrats like yourself who are invested in this bill? Um, I would say it's, it's primarily frustration, Jack, and uh, because for four or five months now at least, uh, we've all been dancing to um, Joe Manchin's music, and we all have, for this entire period, have all realized that any one of us could be Joe Manchin. If we wanted to be difficult, if we wanted to be um, um, showstopper, uh, we could all do that because we, we, we had a three-vote margin in the House, obviously no margin in right. the Senate. And everybody tr tried to, to negotiate in good faith, and we all... You know, a lot of members postured and they said, here's, you know, I won't go for it without this. But they always knew they were going to. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it's it's terribly frustrating. And for me personally, it's terribly frustrating because Joe Manchin, um, the reasons that he's using are demonstrably false. And they're also Republican talking points. Mm -hmm. So, you know, <laughs> uh, anyway. If he wants to, you know, he, obviously he could tank the whole whole project if he, he wants to do that. But uh, if he's going to do that, he ought to be uh, honest about where he is. Uh, but to talk about things like the supply chain, which I have no idea what he's talking about, or that uh, the bill is inflationary or he's worried about the inflation when virtually every economist says that there's no way it's inflationary. It's just and, – and using the, the bogus CBO score – uh, of a bill that doesn't exist, uh, those are things that uh, you, you have to question uh, his sincerity in this. Well, so uh, I'm curious what you think comes next. In particular, he has talked about not wanting any gimmicks in terms of short extensions. He wants things to be paid for for 10 years. I think the issue seems to be the child tax credit, as I mentioned earlier in the show, would be $1.5 or so over 10 years. Um, that's almost the top line that he is comfortable with. So if, if that is the issue and things need to be paid for for 10 years, do you think uh, – wh what kind of priorities can you fit into a bill? Well, I don't – there are very few that you could do without uh, – at that top line number without um, sunsetting them or, or shortening the, the duration at some point particularly if you're not going to allow any more um, revenue uh, raising in the bill. Mm -hmm. So, uh, again, this is one of those things that uh, I, don't, I don't recall him ever saying anything about this, that he was concerned about this until recently. Um, the, the, the House bill has been around for a while now, and uh, we obviously made those decisions on shortening the duration of some of the funding levels because he he required a top line number that was half of what we were trying to accomplish, so on the one hand he said, "Well, you can we can only spend this much." So we said, "Okay, well we'll cut back on some of the the funding levels," and now he's complaining about that. So mm -hmm. um, I don't know where it leaves us. Uh, clearly, you're right. It 
uh, we could not do the uh, the the, uh, um, the child tax credit for 10 years and then do anything else if he is holding fast to the the basically the 1.7 trillion number. So, Chairman, at this point, I mean, we've been talking about this bill now for months, um, just the various aspects of it, the child tax credit, the health care component, the tax component, the climate component. Even if something slimmed down passes, it sounds like the whole thing's not going to go through. It, how is that going to impact Democrats as they run for the midterms? I know you yourself are not running, but I know you've run in many races, and I'm sure you have a clear idea of how this is going to impact your colleagues. Yeah, to, to be honest, Emily, I, I thought uh, a few months ago when we had to make this critical decision about whether we should try to keep every element in the bill or, or condense it, I was actually on the side that said, let's do three or four things really well, and then uh, we'll, we'll try again next year with another reconciliation measure and, and see what we can accomplish on the things that get, that, uh, get edited out. So I, I think you know, if you were to do something with um, uh, a robust child tax credit, uh, pre-K, and possibly some of the environmental stuff, that would actually make it easier to explain, easier to for uh, citizens to digest, and could ultimately be, could ultimately be better politically. Uh, but um, you know that would require a lot of people swallowing hard and and uh, giving up on some incredibly uh, hard work that they've done. For instance, Maxine Waters and and the housing component. So that would be that's always mentioned as one of the ones that mm-hmm. would probably be cast aside first. And, uh, you know, that, sure. So. So, Congressman, I then would would those be the three, the three that you just mentioned? You mentioned pre-K. What would those sort of be if you had to choose which three would make it across the finish line? Which three do you think Democrats need to focus on at this point? If three. Well, child tax credit is number one. There's no question about that. I personally, I think pre-K is something that, um, you, you know, it, it gets at the child care problem um, for, to a certain extent because it's three and four year olds. So you get two years of child care if they're going to school. And uh, I, I don't think that we would get any votes in, uh, among progressives in the House if we didn't have a, a, a robust uh, climate change um, provision in, in the bill. So, yeah, if I had to choose, those would be the three I would focus on. Um, so, Congressman, should we expect you Democrats to follow up with another reconciliation package? If you're getting squeezed in this fiscal 2022 reconciliation process, are you going to use the 2023 to get another shot at any extras that aren't in those maybe three priorities? I certainly think that if we have to narrow the, the the focus of this reconciliation bill, that we would. I don't think there'd be any question that we would come back with another one. Hmm. One of the problems we re, we face, though, is if we're you know if we if we go too far into into 2022 to pass this, then we 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 have to start the process immediately, and and I'm not sure how easy that will be. Well, it's not going to be easy anyway. But hmm. uh, I, I personally have talked uh, to the speaker about. Uh, I think the advisability of doing a reconciliation bill next year that's focused on the Medicare expansion and and senior care, uh, mm-hmm. because I think that would be really effective of an effective political message in the middle of the midterms right. to uh, some, have something that's focused on seniors and, and then let the Republicans oppose that.
And Congressman, in, in 20 seconds, can you fit any of these priorities into a bipartisan measure like the appropriations package? I don't see how any of these things survive in a bipartisan bill. I just don't. I have not 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 heard any indication from any Republican that they're receptive to any of that. Right. Thank you so much, Congressman John Yarmuth, uh, with the Democratic reaction to all the news surrounding Senator Manchin's opposition to their tax and spending bill. Coming up, we're going to talk to our panel, Jeannie Sheehan-Zano and Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributors, as well as Laura Davison, who covers tax, tax issues in Congress for Bloomberg News. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick with Emily Wilkins. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Democrats are in disarray after Senator Joe Manchin torpedoed Biden's signature social policy and tax bill. We're going to dive into it a little bit later. I'm Emily Wilkins here with Jack Fitzpatrick. We are filling in today for Joe Matthew. Well, Democrats might be the ones who are scrambling to pick up the pieces. But earlier today, it was Senator Joe Manchin himself who sounded like a man who'd hit his breaking point. He was speaking earlier today with Talkline Radio in West Virginia. I'm not blaming anybody. I knew where they were, and I knew what they could and could not do. They just never realized it because they figured, surely to God we can move one person. Surely we can badger and beat one person up. Surely we can get enough protesters to make that person uncomfortable enough. They'll just say, okay, I'll vote for anything. Just quit. Well, guess what? I'm from West Virginia. I'm not from where they're from, and they can just beat the living crap out of people and think they'll be submissive. Period. You know, Jack, it's funny. Senator Joe Manchin's boat in D.C., where he's been visited multiple times by protesters, is called the Almost Heaven. But in this clip, he's he's making it sound like it's more like almost hell. He does seem frustrated with the protesters, the public aspect of this. And it, it raises the question, how much of this is purely on the substance of the bill and how much is just the, the spotlight that has been pushed on him and the negativity, I think. And we did get a couple answers from that today, but to bring in this to discuss it further, we're going to bring in our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shianzano and Rick Davis. I mean, Rick, I'll just go to you on this. I mean, we heard a lot from Manchin today, a little bit about reducing the size of some things like the child tax credit. Uh, he wanted the focus again to be on uh, making sure everyone, quote unquote, paid their fair share in terms of taxes. I mean, what what is going to be needed? Needed to satisfy Joe Manchin. Can Joe Manchin be satisfied? Well, I think Democrats made a fundamental error, and I think uh, Congressman Yarmouth kind of pointed it out when they went from three and a half trillion to one point seven or one point or two point zero. Uh, they made a decision to keep everything, right? They weren't going to actually make any cuts, and they would just fiddle with how many years these items would be 
funded. And instead of funding everything for 10 years, you know, they cut everything back uh, to the point where the child tax credit was only going to get one year of funding out of a $1.75 trillion. Uh, and, and that fundamentally changed the whole discussion, but not for uh, Senator Manchin, who had questioned a lot of these programs to begin with. Uh, even John Yarma said, look, if we just did child tax credit pre-K and environment, uh, we could probably fit it into the mansion requirements and get something done. And it, but he lost that fight. And so this is interesting that now the Democrats have to rethink their strategy. Yeah, I'm actually wondering, Jeannie, I thought that was a really interesting part of the interview with Congressman Yarmouth. I mean, do, Jeannie, for, could Democrats pass a bill that only had the child tax credit, pre-K and environment? Or are you going to see some pushback from progressives to see a bill that is that far slimmed down? You're going to see some pushback. That leaves off so many things, including parental leave, housing. Let's not forget about SALT if you're talking about the moderates moving away from the progressives. So, you know, I do agree that that was what Manchin wanted, and I think it made sense from the beginning. But I agree with Rick that they missed the boat on that. And, you know, to your point on frustration, we heard in your really good interview with Yarmouth the frustration from the Democrats, Manchin's frustration today. But Manchin was frustrated last week when Joe Biden came out on Thursday and said they were pretty much good to go. Things were moving forward. And of course, that wasn't the case. That's why he went on Fox on Sunday. And that venue really frustrated the Democrats as well. Yeah, a lot of drama with the the schedule and some of the artificial deadlines. Rick, I really am curious, because you worked so long for John McCain, do you see Joe Manchin as the kind of guy who would be as comfortable giving the thumbs down vote and killing this bill as McCain evidently was with the Republican health care bill. Is that the, the position Manchin finds himself in where he'd be fine being the pivotal no vote? Yeah, well, he is, right? I mean, uh, and he's shown that he's a little frustrated around it, but I think he is okay with being the guy that uh, put his thumb down. When John McCain did it on this, you know, attack on Obamacare, it wasn't because he liked Obamacare, uh, and, it, and it's not because Joe Manchin doesn't like these other programs, but the, it, for, they, the two had their reasons to say no, hmm. and I think they were both sort of the same kind where they said, you know what, we're comfortable being the one guy in the Senate who's going to stop this from happening. And at this point, I mean, it really does seem, even when you look at what Manchin is asking for at this point, and Jack, I know this is something I think that that you've been looking at a little bit today, in terms of taxes, he's saying that, you know, he wants more taxes on the wealthy, on corporations. But that was Senator Kirsten Sinema who was the one who was against that. And so now you're getting these inner dynamics. It's not just what Manchin wants. You really have lore, more lawmakers there who want to be appeased with what's in this bill. Yeah, he, he, he talked about sort of focusing on key Democratic priorities, including changing the tax code. But he also has mentioned limits on how much he wants to increase the corporate tax rate. He put out the 25% number, uh, for example. So he he does have them kind of between a rock and a hard place. It's not just pushing it in one direction. He wants some Democratic priorities, but he also wants it pretty significantly slimmed down. And you also have to think, too, about that. We hear about Manchin. Manchin puts himself out there. He talks about it, but he's certainly not the only one. I think, as Yarmouth mentioned, you know, anyone, any Democrat can almost be an obstruction at this point. Well, we mentioned taxes. We're going to get into that a little bit more just a minute with Bloomberg's Laura Davidson joining us to break it all down and talking a little bit more about salt. We know that's what everyone's interested in. I'm Emily Wilkins with Jack Fitzpatrick. This is Bloomberg.
Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. We're digging in today on Democrats' options for their major social tax and spending bill after Senator Joe Manchin threw a wrench into their roughly $2 trillion plans. Coming up, we're going to talk to Laura Davison, Bloomberg's tax and Congress reporter. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, co-hosting today with my Bloomberg government colleague, Emily Wilkins. And of course, we have Bloomberg politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan-Zano and Rick Davis joining us for their insights. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick here with Emily Wilkins, and we are joined now by Laura Davison, who covers tax issues and Congress for Bloomberg News. I want to follow up with you, Laura, uh, on our Congress, our, our interview with Congressman John Yarmuth earlier. We're trying to figure out, of course, what the next steps would be for Democrats if they need to fit all of this into about one and three quarters trillion dollars with no gimmicks, no shortened timelines. Everything's got to run throughout the decade. Congressman Yarmuth said he'd like to see something focused on the child tax credit, pre-K and the environmental measures. Uh, does that add up? Do, do the numbers add up there? Or what do you see as the most legitimate looking options within that $1.75 trillion box that Senator Manchin has created? They could do something with those three different elements, but they have to scale back uh, basically each piece of that puzzle to get it to fit under $1.75 trillion. Mm-hmm. Really, the child tax credit, as it's currently envisioned, you know, is somewhere around $1.4, $1.6 trillion. Uh, So that basically gobbles up you know, nearly all of that $1.75 trillion cap that Manchin's talking about. So they're going to have to look at scaling back uh, that payment, whether it's you know, they're reduce, um, reducing the amount of the credits or reducing the number of people uh, that the credit goes to. And this is going to be a problem potentially for Biden. He has pledged that he will not raise taxes on anyone earning less than $400,000. And the people that get the child tax credit are people earning less than $400,000. So he will basically, uh, if they want to kind of work some deal, there will probably need to be some tweaking there um, and probably some considerable tweaking to get you know some of these other things in the package that they want. Um, there's about 300 billion dollars worth of renewable energy stuff in there. That's a priority for a lot of Democrats, something you can see a push there. But some of these specific provisions, things like um, electric vehicles, uh, where Manchin has has some problems. He doesn't like uh, that there's a uh, special benefit for union-made vehicles there. Uh, so you're really going to see a lot of negotiating and really a lot of appeasing um, as they kind of, you know, pick and choose what can, what can live and what can die. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Well, Senator Manchin has talked about work requirements for the child tax credit. Do we know at this point, would that make much of a difference in terms of the CBO score? What, what about that? It really depends on kind of how much of a work requirement. Um, but basically, Democrats earlier this year uh, essentially got rid of any sort of quote work requirement that was attached to uh, the child tax credit. They said, look, if, even if you earn zero dollars, you can get this all back you know, as, a, as a refundable, basically as, a, as an advanced 
tax refund. Manchin wants to do away with that. So you're going to see a lot um, of pushback from other Democrats who say, look, you know, by doing that, you're basically denying um, the poorest children this tax credit. Um, it will save some, uh, but it's not going to save, you know, a trillion dollars or something um, off the total cost of that. Laura, I know that something very big, obviously, if you're in New York or New Jersey, is what is going to happen with the state and local tax? Um, What's going to happen with that cap? Are they actually going to be able to do something? I mean, this is a particular provision where there's just been a a lot of movement around. What can we expect with that going forward? Is that definitely going to be a part of any slimmed down package? And if not, is there any way that lawmakers are going to be able to pass it? This is really, um, you know, kind of one of the the most important questions for at least my readers of what they're what they're, uh, you know, interested in. Um, the, the thing with salt that's kind of interesting is that it's for budgeting purposes actually costs about zero dollars. The plans that they're talking about either in the House where they've raised that ten thousand dollar cap up to eighty thousand dollars, or the Senate where they're looking at um, uh, just making it available for people under a certain income level. Um, both of those for CBO scoring purposes um, can basically net out to zero dollars over a decade. That has to deal uh, with because the, the cap that's in place technically expires in twenty. 25, so they can kind of play some budgeting games and get it to net out to zero. Um, so they can probably get it in a bill. Um, the optics of this look uh, less good once you have, you know, fewer priorities in this legislation of saying, you know, you maybe have, you know, just some energy stuff, some uh, pre-K stuff, so a little bit of child tax credit and a tax cut that largely goes to, to wealthier um and higher earning homeowners in, you know, kind of the coastal areas of the country. That's, you know, a, a more of a political problem than a budgeting problem. Uh, but, you know, for this bill to pass the House, uh, you've got, you know, six or seven um, House Democrats who are pretty ardent um, on the House side saying they won't vote for any bill that does tax changes without SALT. Uh, so SALT is probably um, in some form a reality if this bill is going to pass. You know, Laura, I feel like we've talked about SALT so much in the context of this one particular bill. I am curious, since that this cap was put in place in 2017, has there been any momentum from within states like New York or New Jersey to try and lower state taxes, take some of the pressure off of people who live there? Um, There hasn't been an effort necessarily uh, for lower taxes. I mean, you you see that talked about. Um, Some of those um, areas have actually increased taxes as as a response to higher costs during the pandemic. Uh, But what states have done is they basically created some of these uh, these salt workarounds. So they've come up with this complicated um, accounting tricks that basically allow people, um, if they you know are invested um, in a small business or in a law law firm, some sort of pass-through business, they can actually have the salt taxes paid for by the business entity, and then they get a bigger deduction. Um, this is one of the things that, you know, it's kind of, uh, it, it's, it's one of those things where you look at tax equity, and you know, this is something that's available to sort of the, the wealthiest and the most sophisticated taxpayers, but sort of your more middle income taxpayers, your people earning a couple hundred thousand dollars um, in those areas may not have access to that. Yeah, they say death and taxes are the two things that are truly permanent. I feel like very sophisticated <laughs> means of getting out of taxes is also something you can count on. Uh, real quick, uh, Laura, I'm curious about the schedule for this. The issues that Manchin has raised seem significant enough. I'm, I'm, I don't know if they can actually finish this in January. And in particular, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki had mentioned last week potentially doubling up on the February child tax credit because there probably won't be one in January. Uh, very briefly, what, what's the schedule for actually fixing all of these going forward? You know, basically, Democrats have to start over. Um, January almost seems like a you know fantasy at this point. That's what Democrats are still talking about. But you know, we're probably looking uh, sometime when the weather is warmer next year, whether that be March or even a little bit later into the year.
Wow. Well, that's not great news for uh, Democrats such as Congressman uh, Yarmouth, who just spoke to us earlier. Thank you so much, Laura Davison, who covers tax issues and Congress uh, for Bloomberg News. Really interesting takeaways. Uh, Again, as a reminder, the priorities now we're hearing that Congressman Yarmouth laid out for what they might be able to do, child tax credit, pre-K and environment. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, co-hosting today with Emily Wilkins. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Well, Joe is out, but I'm Emily Wilkins in with Jack Fitzpatrick. We are going to be taking you all the way up to a weekend, I believe, and and Christmas. But, uh, you know, we all had expectations for what Christmas was going to look like this year. Uh, But Omicron is now shaking those up. A new headline crossing the terminal from the AP that Omicron is now the most common coronavirus variant in the U.S., accounting for nearly three quarters of COVID-19 cases, according to the CDC. We've been really tracking this, trying to figure out what this new variant is going to mean. We heard from Dr. Anthony Fauci on ABC's This Week, uh, saying that an effective shutdown of the U.S. likely won't be necessary, but that doesn't mean that everything's going to be just fine. He's worked with Senator Manchin over the course of decades. Uh, They uh, share fundamental values. They're longtime friends. That has not changed. Uh, And what's most on the president's mind is the risk of. So. Uh, but, but forgive us. That was actually Jen Psaki, uh, not we can't Anthony stop Fauci. Talking about Senator Manchin. <laughs> He's just taken over everything. He, he disrupted Democrats' our, plans. Our He's disrupted here. the radio show. Well, look. We'll just. I'll just recap Fauci. He basically said that he doesn't foresee the kind of lockdowns that we've seen before, um, but he definitely sees a potential to stress the hospital system. And so we're going to go ahead, bring back in the all-star Bloomberg politics contributors, Jeannie Shianz. Zeno and Rick Davis. Um, Rick, I'll just sort of start with you here. I mean, how are you thinking about your holiday plans in light of what we're now hearing about the Omicron and about sort of how quickly it's spreading? Yeah, it's really phenomenal how uh, times have changed so so rapidly uh, with the spread of the new Omicron variant. Uh, We're staying home. Uh, We typically would travel during the holidays and this is going to be a, a year much like 2020, where uh, we just stick close to home and close to our family and uh, make sure that uh, we're all trying to do what we can to, uh, to make sure that we don't become spreaders of a, of a virus. And I think that uh, we probably maybe are a little different than a lot of others. I see here record travel uh, during the holiday season. So there are a lot of people who haven't made that decision and are going to go about their their lives. And, and look, I mean, we, we do have some positives. I mean, some of the news coming out of South Africa is that this variant may not be as severe and long lasting. But nonetheless, uh, I'm committed to getting rid of COVID, no matter what variant it happens to be. 
And we're also going to hear a little bit more uh, from President Joe Biden speaking on that tomorrow on the Omicron variant and additional steps the White House is taking. Uh, Jeannie, I feel like we've heard from President Biden so much throughout the course of this pandemic. His message lately has been, I think what we're going to hear tomorrow is that those who are vaccinated are fine, but those who are unvaccinated face some serious consequences. Jeannie, is this message working? It, it is really a very frustrating time for the American public. We look at the polls and, you know, we are all feeling it. I, I live in New York and, and I will just tell you, we heard the mayor come out and plead with the White House to invoke the Defense Production Act to ramp up the supply at home, the supply of at home tests, which are, you know, at least in, in my personal experience, very tough to get. I have a son who lives in New York City. They're spending a couple hours in lines to get tested there. So people are really feeling this to Rick's point just like we were back in 20 December 2020. So the president, you know, he has no choice to come out. But what we're hearing he's going to say is, you know, this is not a return to lockdowns. Here's new steps we're going to take to increase access to testing and vaccinations. I'm not so sure it's a message that's going to resonate at this point, but I'm not sure what else he could say at this point because people are very, very frustrated. And I will just tell you, Emily, I am back at the gym with a mask on again. I hadn't been that yeah. way in three or four months so oh. you know we're all sort of returning back to the future as it were well I, at least you made it to the gym that's, I, yeah every once in a while off, emily not that yeah, much you're a lot of people there, Jeannie. not that much but i tried running with a mask for like a year and i couldn't breathe and i just i just got out of shape rick i i want to follow up on this with you uh, when we hear dr fauci say we don't foresee the kind of lockdowns we saw before to what extent do you think that is a response to the possibly milder effects of the Omicron vari variant? And how much is just COVID fatigue? Because I don't think you can get people to enter that kind of lockdown again, regardless of what's going to hit us. Yeah, you wonder if the public health system has their own fatigue. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I'm assuming that whatever Dr. Fauci tells us is in the best interest of the public health. He's been pretty consistent under very difficult circumstances over the last couple of years. And so I'm, I'm assuming that this is just uh, really uh, attributable to the fact that Omicron, as you point out uh, in the headline, is now the dominant virus. Uh, and, uh, and it has less severe uh, symptoms, especially with more and more people who are, are getting vaccinated. I mean, we're at you know, probably over 70% in a single dose. I'd love to see that as all three doses uh, with a booster, uh, but um, maybe this just encourages people to go out and, and, and get a vaccine, which is the easiest way for anybody to actually contribute to the public health uh, problems that we have today because of the COVID. You know, Jeannie, I remember, obviously, earlier this year, we saw Congress pass a big spending package to address uh, COVID. We saw two such packages come uh, at the start and in the middle of 2020. I'm wondering if Omicron proves to be a major problem, if we start seeing hospitals being filled, uh, could this potentially lead to Congress saying that they need to have another bill focused on COVID?
We could see that, you know, I, I think it would be really hard to imagine if you could get sort of bipartisan support on something like that. But if things get bad enough, we may see that happen. And of course, we should we should note that we've seen Cory Booker, Elizabeth Warren, Jason Crow all test positive for COVID in the last few days. And, and I'm sure you and Jack know there's probably others that I'm not hearing about. But this is very widespread and very personal to Congress as well. You know, I will note that I have been asking around if this new variant is going to require a separate bill, supplemental resources for the testing or anything like that. We're actually set to have Tom Cole, Congressman Tom Cole, who's the top Republican appropriator for HHS funds, join us on Wednesday. And he's one of the people I've checked in. He says he, he thinks there could be Republican support if necessary, but nothing has gone to Congress from the White House saying, here are the resources we need from Congress with this new variant. Well, I look forward then to asking him more about that on Wednesday with you, Jack. Uh, but I also wanted to touch on another piece of news that, that we're hearing today, actually three different pieces of news. Three more House Democrats have announced that they will be retiring. Uh, Congressman, I, I might script this name, Albie O'Sires with New Jersey. There are four, Cirrus. There are 435 of them. I think I've got like 430. <laughs> uh, and then Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy, the head of the con, uh, sort of fiscally conservative uh, Democrat Blue Dog Caucus. And then Congresswoman Lucille Royball Allard, chair of the powerful DHS Appropriations Subcommittee. Um, I, I'm wondering, Jeannie, what do you sort of make of, of this recent wave of retirements? We know that 2022 midterms aren't supposed to be great for Democrats, is it just becoming worse with more of these individuals deciding to hang up their hats? It, it is typically retirement season right before the holidays, before people go home for the holidays. So that is not unexpected. But at least by one count I've seen, we've got, what, 21 House Democrats that say they won't seek re-election that year. I, I don't think that's, you know, a record, but it is a high number. And I do think that Democrats are feeling the pressure as we look at polls. I mean, the number one sort of indicator as to how the party will do is where the president is. And the latest polls show President Biden's n approval numbers are very low, just a little bit above where Donald Trump was, but historically low. So it does not look good. You look at the, you know, redistricting and everything else. It's going to be a very tough year for Democrats. And you do see some of them deciding it's not worth right. it or they are being redistricted out of their seats. Rick, what do you think about the Stephanie Murphy announcement in particular? Do you think that's because of redistricting? I, you know, she's a moderate who had been pretty important in the negotiations lately. She got the infrastructure bill. Should we chalk that up to the new maps being drawn in 2022, or is there something I'm missing there? Uh, you know, she was in a hard district to begin with, right? I mean, right. you wouldn't have to really change it much to look at it in this cycle. If there, if there's a little bit of wind at the Republicans' back, it's probably a loss for Stephanie, but it's a huge loss for Democrats. I mean, she's a leader in the House. She's regional, uh, rational. She's been able to pull off some really incredible progress in, in, in her term. And so when you start having leaders not fighting for their districts, um, that's 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 an indication that, that you've got some problems. I mean, look, there are a dozen Republicans who are who are uh, resigning, too, and for lots of different reasons. And so, uh, as as Jeannie says, it is the season uh, to be retired. Uh, jolly also, but retired <laughs> specifically. 
I mean, it definitely takes the the pressure off knowing that you are going home, that you get to spend time with your family, and that you'll be getting to spend a lot of time with them uh, in the near future. Um, well, uh, thank you so much to both of our contributors, Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, as well as Chairman John Yarmuth and our Bloomberg reporter, Laura Davidson. I'm sure we're going to be touching on a number of these topics in the week to come, Jack. Joe Matthew is taking a well-deserved break, so it'll be Jack and me finishing out the week for y'all. And it's only Monday. Cannot believe that. But thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.